The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning, everybody. Well, we're in a new series today. How, how, about, uh, how about that life of David? That was something, right? So now we're going to switch to the New Testament. Uh, our series is going to now take place in the book of Titus. So I invite you to turn uh, to Titus 1. I really, as I've been studying, I, I really have come to, to like the, the sermon series title, Doctrine and Devotion. Now, first of all, I don't know if you've noticed, but Brian's been in kind of a rut lately of like this and that, like doctrine and devotion, broken and beloved, and I forget what the one before that was, but uh, that, that was another A and B kind of title. So he's in a rut, but it's a good one. Um, that last song that we sang, In the Secret, really talks about a deep devotion that we have to God, or that we would like to have to God, what the writer of that hymn was expressing as his desire for himself and his desire for others. But you can't have devotion without doctrine. De- uh, devotion without doctrine is just emotional, it's, it's just an emotional high if you even get to that point. And in the same token, if you have doctrine without devotion, then you just got some intellectual uh, brain food that makes you proud and puffs you up. But what we want to see here in the book of Titus is is doctrine and devotion. So I'm going to read uh, our passage today. Uh, It comes from chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And uh, let's read this together. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have in your word today. I pray, Lord, that you would open our, our, uh, our eyes and open our hearts that we may receive the goodness of what you have revealed to us. Lord, be with me as I speak. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm titling this Chosen for Goodness. Chosen for Goodness. And uh, I want to begin just in verse 4 here. Uh, Paul writing to Titus, he says, my true child in a common faith. Now, 
Titus is a character that is not mentioned a single time in the book of Acts. If you remember a, a couple of years ago, those of you who were uh, part of Missio Dei, uh, we went through um, the book of Acts, all of Paul's journeys, uh, four different journeys, and uh, Titus is not mentioned, but Titus figures in and is mentioned in the book of 2 Corinthians and also Galatians, and Titus was um, a true child of Paul's in the faith. Perhaps Paul led him to Jesus Christ, and he came to Christ through the, the ministry of Paul. But now Paul is entrusting him with a work. Now, if we could put that map up on the screen. Thank you, Graham. Um, Titus, if you, if you just look down in verse 5, uh, we'll touch on this next week. Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you, may put, you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, Crete is where Titus is. Now, Crete is actually in, de- in almost the dead center uh, of this map here. And uh, this particular map shows Paul's final journey uh, to Rome, uh, where he made landfall in the, uh, on the south shore of Crete, that island you see in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, then they set off, and I like how this map kind of draws the route in sort of squiggly lines, you know. They must be driving through, uh, through um, Brevard or something like that. But uh, uh, anyway, that was the shipwreck time, okay? Lost at sea for several days, and then they finally end up in Rome. But uh, Titus is in Crete. Um, okay, thank you, um, Graham, for that. Now, we believe that the letter of Titus was written by Paul after the events of the book of Acts. So in Acts 28, Paul is, is on house arrest um, where he's free to meet with people and have a certain amount of limited freedom. Uh, but scholars believe that he was eventually released from that where he possibly went on another missionary journey, perhaps made it to Spain, uh, which was his, his goal uh, all along. Um, and then on the way back, or at some point late in his life, he understands that there are issues in uh, the church of Ephesus and in the church in Crete. And so he writes to Timothy, and he writes to uh, Titus here, uh, who's got this ministry in Crete. Now, Titus, Titus had helped Paul a great deal um, when Paul was dealing with the Corinthian church, okay? Uh, you know we have a first and a second Corinthians. Uh, what you may not know, or you should know if, you, if you've been reading scripture at all, Paul wrote another letter to the Corinthians that kind of comes between First and Second Corinthians, we don't, we don't have that letter. We don't know exactly what it said, but Paul alludes to it, and it's, it's kind of a severe letter. And it's Titus who delivers that letter to the Corinthian church. So there are issues in the Corinthian church. Titus was called upon to deliver this letter, this rebuke from Paul, and uh, Titus does it, and he's received well, and the letter is received well, And uh, Paul is very happy with this. So now, Paul has another job for Titus. Titus has proven himself 
uh, to be um, uh, uh, a steadfast worker, a faithful worker. And so uh, Paul sends him to Crete, as we saw in verse 5, to put things in order. Now we'll talk more about that next week, but there was a lot going on in Crete. There was immaturity, there was ungodliness, there was disorder, there, the, they were susceptible to false teaching, there was a severe lack of self-control. And so Titus was sent to put all things into order, and one commentator said that this book is really a blueprint for planting and establishing churches. So as we go into the book of Titus, and as we, as we begin to, to learn of this and to study it for the next several weeks, let's just remember that the point of it is to establish the church in right living that is consistent with the gospel. That's our purpose. To establish this church in right living that's, that's consistent with the gospel. So let's dive in. We're going to go into some deep waters. I hope that's okay. All right. Uh, let's go. If you're taking notes, point number one here is you believe because you were chosen. You believe because you were chosen. Verse one. And really just the first half of verse one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Now I want to focus on that phrase, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. In this short phrase, Paul introduces a mystery. He's telling us two truths in that short phrase that comprise a mystery in Scripture, something that we're not able to uh, fully understand and put together in our minds. And the first truth is the sovereign election or choice by God of who will be saved. Where he says God's elect, God's chosen. The second truth is the personal responsibility of the elect to have faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is an apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Now, right away, as I, as I introduce this topic, right away in your mind, some questions and even some objections are going to pop up in your mind. Hey, but what about this and what about that? I want to invite you to just kind of put those questions down for a moment. Can you do that? And let's look at what Scripture has to say. These two truths are difficult, if not impossible, to put together in our minds. There's some tension there. And pastorally, I just simply want to urge you to be okay with the tension. As one preacher I heard once say of something like this, he said, the words speak of a mystery, but words cannot be plainer. So let's hold on to that. And once again, first, God has chosen people to be his own. And secondly, the chosen have a responsibility to, to believe. And by extension, it's our responsibility to preach to them. Now let's examine the first. For the sake of the faith of God's elect, God's elect is literally the elect of God, meaning, uh, and that word elect is simply the word to choose, 
And, and elect of God or chosen of God means chosen by God. And the word chosen means to be selected out of a group. The word in the Greek begins with the, the uh, prefix ek, which means out. So to choose out of a group. And what this means is that out of the entire fallen human race, God chose some to show mercy and to rescue from sin. Now before we object to that, let's look at some scriptures and see if what I'm saying here lines up with scriptures. Now I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. I would invite you just to write down the, if you're taking notes, write down the references. And uh, uh, our brother Graham is going to put these up on the screen. Um, but I just want to hit a few key verses and we'll just hit them in, in kind of rapid fire sequence to see what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about this? First, I want to go to Ephesians 1 uh, in verse 4. Uh, 4 through 6, it says, Even as he, the Father, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus sometimes refers to those who believe in him or who will believe him in him as the ones whom the Father has given to me. So we see this in John chapter 6, verses 37 and 39. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus uh, goes on to say in John 10, um, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus knows his own, because these are the ones that the Father has given to him by choosing them before the foundation of the world. Uh, let's go again to um, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because the Lord chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. The words speak of a mystery, but words could not be plainer. Now, Steadfast Church is part of the Acts 29 uh, network of churches, church planting churches. And Acts 29, uh, one of the distinctives of Acts 29 is, is our enthusiastic embrace of the sovereignty of God's grace in saving sinners. One of the statements reads this way, we affirm that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world 
not on the basis of foreseen faith, but unconditionally, according to his sovereign good pleasure and will. And this statement is consistent with other confessions and other creeds and other uh, catechisms and so on, like the Westminster, the London Baptist Confession, and the Baptist Faith and Message. These, these are consistent with those, those statements. Now, we don't have time to really delve into these deep waters. I wish we did. I wish we could take more time. But the point is, you believe because you were chosen. In the words of, of John Piper, before you believed, you belonged. You were given to Jesus Christ by the Father. I want you to dwell on that for a moment. And before we, before we let our minds get bogged down in, in some of the, the deep questions that I know we all must have, just dwell on that fact. You are chosen by God. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are there because you have been chosen. Before the foundation of the world, God set his heart on you. Not because of anything God saw in you, not because of anything that you might do, but just simply because of his, the, the purpose of his will and the kindness of his mercy. Now, any time that the, the doctrine of election is, is mentioned and taught in Scripture, the purpose of it is not to make us proud, like, oh, I'm one of God's chosen ones. I must be special. No, it's to humble us. It's to comfort us. It's to give us great reassurance. To be chosen by God is meant to generate a, a humility that emanates from the undeserved grace of Christ. It tells us again and again that there's not anything that I did to deserve to be a child of God. What this raises in me, and I pray that it raises in you, is, is just a question of why me? Who am I? that I should receive such grace. You believed because God. Because God chose you. And that's the first truth. Now the second truth we see in this phrase is that the elect are responsible uh, to believe. To, they have to come to faith in Christ. Paul is an apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect. He would never take that teaching of God's sovereign election and use it to, to just lay aside his mission and say, well, if they're chosen, I guess they're all going to come to Christ anyway, so I don't really have to preach. Paul would never think that we come to Christ by fiat. Rather, that we come when the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit convicts us, the Father draws us, and we come to faith through the preaching of the word. Well, one objection to this, this teaching on, on God's sovereign work and salvation is, and I know this because I've heard it time and time again, is that if God is chosen, who will believe? Then why pray for the lost? Why preach? Well, why don't we look at verse 3? Verse 3 is picking up uh, a phrase here uh, that he has in, in uh, verse 2, which we're going to see in a few minutes. 
in hope of eternal life. And in verse 3 he said, which at the, proper time, at the proper time was manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Notice this. The hope of eternal life was manifested in time. It was manifested in his word through preaching. And that preaching was entrusted to Paul and by extension to all of us. At God, our Savior's command. Why preach the gospel? It's because it's necessary for the elect to come to faith. God has ordained that his chosen people will come to him through the very normal and human activity of preaching. Why preach? Because it's not going to happen any other way. Paul would never take his teaching, this teaching and, and use it as an excuse to, to fail to fulfill his calling. In 2 Timothy, he, he said this, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The election of God, in, rel in relation to our preaching, the election of God ensures that our preaching of the gospel will be successful in bringing the elect to faith. In the book of Acts, Paul is undergoing through uh, a lot of torment and persecution and so on. And the Lord appears to him in a vision one night and he says this. He says, do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you for, listen to this, for I have many in this city who are my people. We preach the gospel both here and on the street, in the marketplace because God has people and they just don't know it yet. There are people in Asheville that were given to Christ by God the Father before all time and our responsibility is to preach to them so that they can come to faith in Christ. Now if that's not enough impetus for us to preach, how about this? That last phrase in verse 3 says, by the command of God our Savior. Why do we preach? Because we're told to. We're commanded to. We don't know who the elect are. So we preach to everybody. And we entrust the harvest to the Lord of the harvest. Amen? God will bring his people to him. Now these two truths that we've talked about, they create mental tension. And if you soften one or the other, you're going to distort biblical truth. I want you to be okay with that tension, with holding these two truths, even though they don't seem to be compatible. Hold them in tension. Affirm what the Bible affirms. Wouldn't you expect that there would be some truths too deep for us? 
Absolutely. So what God has revealed, let's affirm it and not try to weaken it in any way. John Calvin said this, For our wisdom ought to be nothing else than to embrace with humble teachableness whatever is taught in sacred scripture. Embrace whatever is taught in sacred scripture. You believe because you were chosen. Now our second point is you are godly because you believe and know the truth. We see this in the second half of verse 1, but let me read all of verse 1 again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Now, I want to focus on that phrase, truth, which accords with godliness. Now, one of the, the constant and recurring objections to the gospel is that if it's true, if the gospel is true, it will lead to licentiousness. It will lead to lawlessness. And the thinking is this. Now, the gospel tells us that, that we in Adam all sinned and, and we continue to sin. We have no way to please the Father through our own works of righteousness. So... He sent his son, Jesus Christ, in God's great rescue plan. He sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to, to achieve the righteousness that we cannot achieve. And then to die a substitutionary death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. And all you need to do to receive that is believe. You don't need to work for it. You can't work for it. No amount of good works would earn you that. It's impossible. So all you do is reach out with the empty hand of faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Now the objection to that is, well, if that's the case, if you don't have to work for anything, then you can just live as you please and still be saved. Paul anticipated that in Romans 6 when he said, he said, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? No way. The free gift of salvation is seen to lead to licentiousness. Uh, big word just simply means living as you please. Rebelliousness, sin. And Titus, right off the bat, Paul says here, he says, the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Truth, the truth of the gospel does not accord with, with uh, liberty. It, it, you know, liberty to sin and do what you want. It accords with godliness. God's saving grace unites us with Jesus Christ. We are a new creature. And that accords and leads to godliness. Now, this is a recurring theme in Titus, as we'll see as we go through. The idea of good works. In this short book, which is only two pages in my Bible, 
In this short book, the word good or goodness is mentioned 10 times. The word pure is mentioned three times. In several passages, Paul is, is encouraging and commanding mature behavior, self-control. And this is a recurring theme in the book of Titus. So as we go through the book over the next few weeks, just bear that in mind that you are godly because you believe. Not you are free to do what you want because you believe. The truth of the gospel always leads to good works. And any, any salvation, quote unquote, that doesn't result in godliness and good works is a false salvation. Now I know it's never perfect. This side of heaven, our, our, our godliness and our holiness is never perfected. But true believers grow in grace and in godliness. You are godly because you believed. Finally, our third point here. You are secure because God is faithful. You are secure because God is faithful. We see this in verse 2. Now backing up into verse 1. The knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness... In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. In hope of eternal life. Now, as you and I live our lives in this day, we live in a, in a life of hope, or we should. We have a hope, we just need to dwell in it and, and uh, accept it and believe it and reckon it to be true. As Brian has said many times, Christian hope is a sure hope. It's not like my hope every year and, and football training camps are starting this week. And Every year I hope that the Cleveland Browns will finally win a Super Bowl. And every year, my hope is dashed on the rocks by the middle of October, okay? <laughs> Our slogan is, there's always next year, okay? Not that kind of hope. A hope that is certain, a hope that is sure. Now, where do we find this hope? Well, let's look at this, this sentence that Paul wrote. There's a process here that leads us to a deep and, and abiding assurance. And I'm going to just highlight the, the main points in, in these four words. Person, promise, presentation, and proclamation. Person, promise, presentation, and proclamation. First of all, uh, the hope of eternal life is rooted in a person. Uh, verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies. Our hope begins in the character of God. God is a God of truth. He never lies. And he what he reveals is true. And so our hope begins with the person of God and his character. Secondly, promise, which God who never lies, promised before the ages began. 
Now, this is amazing. The hope of eternal life was promised before before creation. Our salvation story begins in the counsel of the holy God in eternity. Our assurance of, of future hope is rooted in the eternal plan of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a great deal of comfort. Your surety at the end is rooted in the surety of God's sovereign rule at the beginning, before the beginning. And that's a massive foundation for hope. It's not like based on anything you can do. It's based on the promise of God who never lies. Person, promise, then presentation. We looked at this a little bit earlier, but I just want to dive into it a little bit more. Verse 3, and at the proper time manifested in his word. This is the presentation of God's redemption plan, referring not only to those moments when the gospel was presented to you, but think more historically when the gospel through Jesus Christ was presented or manifested into history with the coming of Jesus Christ. He manifested the, the perfect character of God. He manifested the gospel. He was full, as John says, full of grace and truth when he came. So it was presented to us in time through Jesus Christ. And then finally, it was proclaimed, preached in obedience. Paul says, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So this process, this person, the promise, the presentation, and the proclamation begun in the character of God and in his eternal, eternal degree, decree is the ground of our assurance. And thus you have hope and you are secure because God is faithful. Now as we wrap this up, let's look in verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Uh, in many ways, this is very similar to, to all of his uh, salutations and greetings in all of Paul's writings. Grace and peace. What Paul is writing here in the book of Titus is intended to convey grace to the reader. Unmerited favor and power over, over sin, power to live the Christian life. And it's these grace truths that we will be talking about throughout the book of Titus, these, these truths based on and rooted in, in the grace and of, of God that give us peace, that give us assurance, give us hope. 
And I especially like the designation here, Christ Jesus, our Savior. As you think about your salvation today, you have a salvation. God has given you salvation. If you are in Christ, if you have your faith in Jesus Christ, he has given you salvation. But he's given you salvation, the blessings of salvation, because he has given you a Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, may we exalt him. May we glory in him. May we bring glory to him, our Savior. Now, rather than questions today, I have a, a, a few to-dos, activities, all right? Uh, it's the old teacher in me, I guess. Um, number one, during this series, we've, we've recommended this before, read or listen to Titus every day. It's two pages. I looked in my Bible app, it takes six minutes if you listen to it. Um, reading could be quicker or slower, depending on your... Uh, but immerse yourself in this, this gem of a, uh, of a letter that is given to us. I was talking to Miss Louise this morning, and she said that, you know, well, Titus is one that we don't look at very often. Okay, yeah, well, let's... Immerse ourselves in it. Uh, number two, if you are prone, if you like, like I do, to underline in your Bible and to write in your Bible, circle every time you see the word good, goodness, and pure. And then just pay attention to that as you go. And then finally, number three, uh, read and meditate on these other scriptures that I have read for you today. I realize that, that some of the content that I've been talking about today may be new to you. Maybe it may seem shocking. It may, it may seem like, well, that can't be. It's because our minds are trying to fuse two things together that, that don't, don't go together. If you, if you want to delve into it even further, uh, I'm going to recommend two books. Uh, one book is... is a gem, uh, it's about 95 years old, called The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. Not a particularly long book, but it's, it's chock full of scripture. A really good book. And then another one is more recent, uh, a book by Richard Phillips called What's So Great About the Doctrines of Grace? This is a handy little book. Richard Phillips pastors Second Presbyterian Church in Greenville. Not First Presbyterian, Second Presbyterian. That always cracked me up. It was like, what? How'd, how'd you get to be second? Well, you weren't first. Okay. Uh, anyway, those two, those two books are really good if you want to delve into this further. Um, if you have some questions, if you'd like to discuss these things, not argue, uh, I'll be up here at the front. <laughs> <laughs> Let all things be done peaceably and in order. Okay, uh, I'll be up here at the front if you want to talk about some of these things after, afterwards. But for now, let's set aside questions and go with what we are sure of. And that is Jesus Christ died 
according to the scripture for our sins. On the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. And this is the gospel. So we're going to invite you, if you are a believer in Christ, to come to the table, to come to the the Lord's table, receive the bread and the cup as as a remembrance Of, of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you're a Christian, we invite you. This is open to anyone who is a believer in Christ. If you prefer not to, that's fine too. But as you come to the table, you come not to take communion, but to receive communion. To receive it, as it were, from the hands of Jesus Christ. Think of his words. On the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, he took the cup and blessed it and said, take and drink. This is, my, this is, is the blood of, of the new covenant given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray, and then um, I will um, we'll take a minute uh, or so where you can um, pray, confess your sins to the Lord, come to the table um, in, in a proper manner. After about a minute, I'll get up, and when I do, that'll signal that the tables are open. We'll start from the back, work our way down as people come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that you never lie to us. You are the ever true God and and you promised before the ages began that we can have hope of eternal life. Lord, I pray that we today as believers would rest in that hope. I also pray, Lord, for anyone in this room or anyone hearing my voice that if they don't know that hope, that they would cry out to you. They would seek the Lord while he may be found. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.